cry out to you, Lord, thankful for this day that you've given, a day that we might gather together, sitting under your means of grace as the Spirit works your perfect will in our lives. Lord, as we get to gather together and celebrate the the unity we have in Christ, as we get to gather together as your people in your house, worshiping you. Lord, we're thankful for your, your goodness, your grace, and your covenant faithfulness. And we ask that as your word is read and preached, that all that you have willed to happen will happen. That all those whom you've appointed unto salvation, all those whom you've appointed to grow in sanctification, that that would happen this evening for our benefit, but Lord, above all, for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, if you're turning your Bibles to Luke chapter 24, you're going to be looking at verses 50 through 53 this evening. We'll be concluding the gospel according to Luke. By God's grace, we've made it all the way through. And we are about a little over two years in, as I mentioned last week, a little over... 130 sermons. I hope that you'll continue to pray with me that the Lord will bring forth fruit from our labors together. Uh, It's kind of a sad and exciting moment. Uh, Sad for me as I'm leaving a a book. I know for some it's probably sad that we're leaving Luke and for others you're excited. So Hopefully there will be a good mix of uh, righteous sadness and excitement this evening. As I mentioned last week, I've been giving you my summary of the book, but that summary is based upon Luke's Holy Spirit-inspired summary. So we'll start there as we begin our last sermon in Luke together in this series. Luke chapter 1 verses 1 through 4, and as much as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Hear now God's perfect and errant sufficient word. Luke 24, starting in verse 50. Then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him. And returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple, blessing God. When I coach flag football and I work with the guys on defense, and I particularly work with the safety, there's one, one rule they have to memorize. One thing they have to do first every single play. When that ball snaps, the first thing they have to do, what I want imprinted in their mind, is that they cannot let one of the receivers get behind them. They can't get beat deep. Now, once the ball passes the line of scrimmage, 
whether it's a runner or a pass, there's other things to do, important things. Most of the uh, most important of all of that is to simply get to the ball and stop it, intercept it, pull a flag, end the play. But the first thing I want those guys to do, their first responsibility is not to get beat deep. And Christian, you're called as, as a disciple of Jesus Christ to be salt and light everywhere you go, every day. And as a disciple, there's one thing that you need to do first. There's one thing before the play develops, there's one thing you have to do first, and it's, it's what we see here in these final few verses in Luke, in the passage we're looking at this evening, and, and that's with joy. With joy, Christians are to worship Jesus Christ, our risen Lord, who reigns from heaven. That's first. You have other responsibilities after that, but first, with joy in your heart, dear Christian, worship the Lord Jesus Christ, our risen Lord who reigns from heaven. And we're going to look at three, three things together this evening. Jesus blesses his disciples, Jesus goes up into heaven, and Jesus is worshipped by his disciples. We begin with with Jesus blessing his disciples. The first thing we see as we come to our passage, Jesus leads his disciples out to Bethany, a place that they had been before, that he might bless them. Uh, Bethany is an important place in the gospel accounts. We've We've visited many times together here in Luke. Bethany is the location where on the edge of Bethany you have the Mount of Olives, the place that Christ has been. It's where the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus was located. It's where Simon the leper lived. It's the place where Jesus' feet were anointed with perfume. Bethany is where Jesus cursed the fig tree. It's where Jesus prepared for the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Bethany is is a place that the disciples know well, as Christ does himself. In Zechariah 14, we see a prophecy regarding Bethany and the Messiah. We see it again told to us in Acts 1, as there is a fuller account of the ascension of Christ as There are angels who tell the disciples a message after Christ has departed. This prophecy of Christ is that he will return in his second coming to this very location, to Bethany, to this place. That he has taken the disciples that he might bless them before he returns to heaven. Now we know in in God's universe there is no chance, there are no accidents We know that it was not just on a whim that Jesus decided to carry the disciples out to Bethany. They chose to go there, obviously, for the importance of it, for what it would be in the future. But Jesus could have blessed his disciples and he could have ascended anywhere, and yet he chooses Bethany. I think even here at the end of 
of the gospel according to Luke, we see another picture. The Holy Spirit affirming to us the certainty of the account that has been given to us through Luke. The certainty of that with the the purpose of Bethany being the location that this blessing might be given in Christ would head back to heaven. He would return. And even as we look forward for his return at this very place. The gospel according to Luke, the certainty that we have. We also see this picture, these bookends of the temple. We've been hitting on these facts as we've gone through. The way that Luke, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, has given us certainty in many of the things as as we begin and, and the singing of praises as God the Son comes in the incarnation to take on flesh and as he has lived perfect life for his people, keeping his own law. As we saw him in his public ministry, performing miracles, teaching with great authority. As he was all the buzz, as everyone was talking about Jesus. Could this be the one we've been waiting for? Even as he entered in in the triumphal entry, the, the week of the passion, clearing of the temple, the maneuvering, manipulation, at least humanly speaking, of the religious leaders working with the civil leaders to, to take Jesus to the cross. But upon the cross, he, he goes as, as our high priest, willingly dying, laid upon it, with his arms spread wide, the sins of his people placed upon him as he pays the debt we cannot pay. His death, his burial, then his resurrection, his appearances. As we know in greater detail from Acts, the 40 days he spent with the disciples, and now we come even to our very passage, the ascension. All these things the Holy Spirit has given to us through Luke that we might know for certain. Lord Jesus Christ is the one true and living God. He is the God-man. He is the only mediator between God and man. He is the only name to cry out to for salvation. He is our hope. He is life. And it's fitting that Jesus' final words to his disciples is a blessing. As the, the high priest whom all the high priests had been pointing and foreshadowing to as our priest. He gives this blessing to his disciples. He doesn't just tell them bye. He doesn't wish them well. He doesn't even in that moment pray for them. He does something that all the high priests have been doing for for generations at the end of their service as they would lift up their hands and bless God's people, starting with Aaron moving forward. The mouthpieces of God, giving his blessing to his covenant people. And Christ does this with his disciples as well. He doesn't just say goodbye. Instead, he imparts to them a blessing of welfare, a blessing of peace, a blessing of power upon his people, this benediction, this, this blessing that he gives as he then 
is carried up in to heaven. And Jesus continues to bless his people. Jesus continues to bless you. Every time we gather together, it's very pulpit, as we gather together for corporate worship, as your ministers lift their hands and not giving their blessing to you, but as they lift their hands as the mouthpiece of God and God blesses you, as God speaks welfare, peace, and power to his people. Jesus blesses his disciples. And as he does, Jesus goes up into heaven. Jesus, having completed his work of redemption, he returns. He returns from where he came. Even as we read in Psalm 110, that prophecy, that beautiful picture, the Lord speaking to the Lord. Sit at my right hand while I make your enemies your footstool. The ascension is different than what we've seen. You remember the last few sermons after Jesus' resurrection, he's appeared. He appeared to the disciples uh, that were outside of of the eleven that remained on the road to Emmaus. And then he, he broke bread with them and then he was gone. And you remember they ran and they fled and they, they got back to Jerusalem. The trip that they had just taken, they, they threw that away in the midst of the darkness and, and the dangers of the road. They, they ran back because they wanted to tell the other disciples about what had happened. They get there in, in the midst of that, in the locked room as they're hiding. You remember that Jesus appears. He speaks with them and eats with them. And then again, he's gone. And now we come to the ascension. It's not just another appearing and, and reappearing it's not just he was there, he wasn't there, he wasn't there, he's there, but, but he's lifted up into the clouds. I think it's befitting as he's blessing them and he's carried up into heaven. We have that picture that having accomplished his mission, he's, he's done. He's returning to heaven. He's leaving his disciples and he's leaving them, just as he said, so that he might then fulfill the Father's promise and, and send the Holy Spirit, the Comforter. That in the new covenant age, there might be a, a greater blessing of the presence of the Holy Spirit amongst the church and God's people. We might see through Acts, Christ continuing to build his church as the Spirit uses and works through Christ's disciples. Jesus, the God-man, who is the King of kings and Lord of lords, having returned to heaven, reigns from heaven. There's this interesting Think about the fact that Christ returned to heaven. God the Son, having taken on flesh, now the God-man has returned to heaven. It's hard to even wrap our minds around this, just like it's hard to understand the Trinity and the hypostatic union, but, but to know that, that God in flesh sits upon the throne over his universe ruling right now at this very moment. It cast away the, the strange beliefs of some 
in the past and even today that the body is a, uh, a trap, it's a prison that has to be escaped. It wasn't an ascension in which Christ threw away that temporary body that he, that he had to be with, but instead we see he, he ascends in his body. The God-man ascends to heaven, giving us a, a picture, foreshadowing a, a, a promise that we can look to and hope and know that the bodily resurrection is coming and that we, too, one day will be with our Savior in the new heavens and the new earth and glorified bodies. Christ, sitting on the throne, he's... He's not passive right now. He's not sitting back and waiting for the second coming. We know that he's active. He's active as our high priest, as he is bringing our prayers to the Father. But we also know that he's active as our king, as he is ruling, as he is reigning over all of his creation, over all of his dominion. Yes, that looking forward to the new heavens and the new earth when he sits at his return, great white throne judgment and then he'll be reigning on the new earth and the new heavens but even now our king king jesus is ruling and reigning we see that picture in revelation chapter 1 17 and and 19 it reveals that jesus is the undisputed sovereign king of kings there is no question There is no question throughout all of the created universe. There is no question amongst things that are visible and invisible. Even as we read in in God's word, it's revealed to us in Roman 1, even those who have hearts of stone and are in rebellion against their creator, they still, in their core, do not question that Jesus is king of kings. They may try to fight it, numb it but it is reality we see in revelation we see in other places there's a there's a picture of it in first timothy chapter six as we are encouraged i think it should be an encouragement for you too dear saints first timothy chapter six starting in verse 11 But as for you, O man of God, flee these things, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who is the testimony who gave who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings, and Lord of Lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in inapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. King Jesus has given his, his church a, 
a mission. He's told his disciples, his people, what it is that they're to be doing to make worshiping disciples. Worshiping disciples that are equipped and taught everything in God's word. All of his commands that he has given. They're taught to go and, and that we as Christians are to be salt and light everywhere, every day. Throughout King Jesus' dominion. Which is everywhere. In every way. There is no place that you are not to go be salt and light. As we worship our great God. Jesus blesses his disciples. Jesus goes up into heaven. And then we see Jesus is worshipped by his disciples. Not only worship, but Jesus' disciples worship him with great joy. As Raoul describes this, how shall we account for these joyful feelings? How shall we explain the singular fact that this little company of weak disciples left for the first time like orphans in the midst of an angry world was not cast down, but was full of joy? The answer to these questions is short and simple. The disciples rejoiced because now, for the first time, they saw all things clearly about their master. The veil was removed from their eyes. The darkness had at length passed away. The meaning of Christ's humiliation and low estate, the meaning of his mysterious agony and cross and passion, the meaning of his being Messiah and yet a sufferer, the meaning of his being crucified and yet being Son of God, all, all was at length unraveled and made plain. They saw it all. They understood it all. Their doubts were removed. Their stumbling blocks were taken away. Now, at last, they possessed clear knowledge and possessing clear knowledge felt unmingled joy. This is the disciples have witnessed Christ's miracles. His death, his burial, his resurrection. Now they have witnessed his ascension. And this is the first time that Luke records that they worship him. That they worship him. And that they worship him with great joy. And the fruit of the Spirit includes... Christian joy and unshakable love and unshakable delight and unshakable pleasure that we have in our triune God, rested and rooted in the Father, Son, and Spirit, an unshakable joy and un, an unshakable pleasure that we have that's rooted and rested in God's perfect sovereign will, a joy that cannot be taken, for it is God that gives it. It is a joy that drives God's people to worship. It's a joy that drives us to worship the God that we love. And Jesus' disciples are not only worshiping him with, with great joy, but it says that they were continually in the temple blessing God. They're, they're worshiping publicly. 
where, where were we 40 days earlier? What was going on? And we know it's been 40 days as we go to Acts and, and we fill things in a little bit. But where did Jesus find the disciples 40 days earlier when he appeared to them? Were they in the courtyard of the temple? Were they in the streets? Were they out in public? They were hiding in a locked room, fearful for their very lives. They were the opposite of witnessing Christ publicly and boldly. But now, now knowing their Savior fully, understanding the true reality, having that unshakable joy driven to worship him. We see more of this unpacked and as you, you go to Acts and, and you see and understand as we have the, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost and, and, and the time that, and the preaching and, and the events and the miracles and all the things that happened at the temple. But we see here just a small picture. They're continually in the temple blessing God. They went from hiding in a little room, scared that someone would find them, Now they're going into what might even be considered the most dangerous place they could go. Into the temple praising God. Driven by the joy that they have. And knowing who their Savior is and who they are in Him. Not allowing anyone to keep them quiet or hidden. Stopping them. From gathering and, and worshiping, witnessing Christ to those around them. Even as this evening we gather. It was an aspect this morning as we gathered. This evening we gather. As God's people gather on the Lord's Day publicly for corporate worship. There is an aspect of that that we are even proclaiming to one another. That we believe <laughs> That we, we trust in the promises. That God is who he says he is. He's doing everything he says he will do. But there are other people that that witnesses to as well. As we gather together, enjoying fellowship with our great God. The world watches. I have no idea how the Spirit uses that. I have no idea how the Spirit is working right now as people are driving up in to Oak Ridge and they look up and they see lights upon the church knowing that there are people here maybe thinking, it is 643. What are those crazy people doing? Who knows how the Spirit is using that? As we witness that we're here because of the joy we have of being Christ's. We gather together because Jesus is Lord. We gather together because Jesus is everything. Even in the hardest of times when, when perhaps we're down and we, we don't want to get in the car and drive, there's... You know it. There's something in your heart that says, of course I want to be there. I want to be with God's people, but I want to be in God's presence in that special way in which he fellowships with his people in corporate worship. I want to sit under the means of grace.
because my heart is overflowing with joy. Not because I have to be there, not because it's what I'm supposed to do, but because I get to do it. And as we see Jesus blessing his disciples and going up into heaven and, and being worshipped by his disciples, we see with joy. Christians are to worship Jesus Christ, our risen Lord who reigns from heaven. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we ask that you would continue to fill our hearts with that unshakable joy that can't be taken. Give us that gift and grow it, Lord, that in all things that, that we would hold on tighter to nothing other than our hope and love that we have for you. Thank you that we are able to, join, to come together to worship you. Thank you for your means of grace. Thank you for your word. And thank you for this book that you've given to us that we've been able to spend time in. Lord, as we've had it read and preached, as we've studied it and thought through it and read and prayed through it, Lord, we ask that you would work mightily in our lives. Don't leave us like we are. Make us more like Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.